What's up, everybody? Mike Matarazzo here, host of Kitchen Brain Podcast. Before we start this episode, I wanted to say a few things. I, first, I want to thank everybody who has been supporting Kitchen Brain for the first season and listening and watching the episodes. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing with your friends and uh, helping me kind of grow the, the audience through the first season. And thanks for bearing with me through, uh, you know, any any glitches that may have happened or production issues. This is all really new for me. Season one was great for me to kind of learn uh, the ropes with with podcasting and and the AV thing. And I'm still still learning. So thanks for for coming along for the ride. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I hope you'll be back when we bring season two back, which should be uh, late February, early early March. I'll keep you posted on social media about all that. Uh, I also want to talk about just a, a few other things before I uh, leave you for the winter. You might be wondering uh, why I'm taking a break and, and breaking it up into seasons. Uh, part of it is, you know, that that learning process for me. It's, um, you know, I, I figured out a lot of things in the first season. I want to take the winter to improve the production and my studio and kind of, you know, get a better grasp on some things. Also, I'm still a working full-time executive chef and it's the holiday season. So those of you who are chefs know that it's a, a busy time. So I'm gonna take some time to focus on the holidays at work. I'm gonna take some time to focus on the holidays with my family and, uh, and just keep, like I said, keep improving things here in the studio to try to bring you even even uh, an even better experience in season two. So I won't be totally radio silent over the winter. Keep your eye out on social media for off-season shorts. Uh, this will be brief, you know, 10, 15-minute clips. Uh, it'll, it'll be myself and the camera and the microphone. And I'm going to talk about a lot of different things, just kind of brief clips, things that pertain to working in kitchens and our industry, uh, I'm going to take some of the comments that have been left on certain controversial social media posts that I've made over the last few months, and I'm going to read those comments and, and address them and kind of talk about, uh, you know, what, what people are saying. And then when we get into uh, season two, I already have, uh, you know, a few really good guests that I'm excited about lined up to interview for season two. Uh, I, I could use some help, though, with that. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of you out there and you all know people. So if you know somebody that you believe should be on Kitchen Brain because they're an inspirational person or they have a, a really incredible story or, you know, they're just doing incredible things at their job, uh, not necessarily looking for celebrities. I, I'm looking for people who should be celebrities because of what they do or what they've done or what they've gone through. And I want to help bring their story to life for all of you. So if you know anybody who you believe should be on Kitchen Brain, uh, you can email me at michaelm at kitchenbrainx.com and, you know, give me their name, tell me where they are and how to get in touch with them and, uh, you know, why you believe that they should be on Kitchen Brain and, and we'll see what we could do there. Um, so again, I, I appreciate everybody tuning in for season one, you know, we, we've grown, 
Uh, the show has grown a bit for sure since I first started. Uh, it's slow, slow going, which is fine and, and to be expected. Uh, another, another favor I could ask everybody who's listening or watching, if you could please uh, share, if you like the show, try to share it with as many people as you can. Help me spread the word. The more listeners that I get, the more downloads I get, the more views I get, the more YouTube subscribers I get, um, the bigger that this can become, the more potential there are for sponsorships. Right now, sponsorships are just kind of uh, out of the question with the, with the rate of downloads, but I, I'm very optimistic and I, I feel like we're going to get there, um, but I could use your help. So anything that you can do to help me promote the show just by telling your friends, uh, subscribing, if you haven't already subscribed, you can hit the, the little subscribe button down in the bottom right of this screen. There's like a little tiny uh, red line in the in the video. Click that, subscribe, share it with your friends, and uh, that would be much, much appreciated. I also want to talk about uh, another venture that some of you know about and have seen me post about, and you'll, you'll start to see more posts now that season one is over. Uh, be Better Culinary Perspectives. Uh, and, and that's a company that I started earlier in the year. And my goal with this is to provide food service operations focusing in the back of the house with guidance, advice, uh, you know, efficiency, um, items that, that they can focus on, team building, leadership skills. Uh, this isn't a cooking thing. This isn't about food. And this isn't necessarily about me coming in and saying, this is how you should run your business. This is more of a partnership. Uh, it's, it's a coaching versus a consulting. I know a lot of people out there think that, you know, oh, everybody says coaching because they think it sounds better than consulting, but it's all the same. Uh, this, this is not the same. Um, I'm actually another thing that I'm starting this winter just to share. Uh, I'm, I'm embarking on a, a small educational journey to become a certified life coach through the International Coach Federation. And that will add more knowledge uh, to this business as well, um, where, you know, coaching is not telling you how to do things. It's not telling you, you know, this is what you need to do to get better. It's not diagnosing you with anything. It's not treating you for anything. Uh, coaching is helping people think through uh, the way that they're doing things and, and come up and, and find their best selves uh, and how to be their best selves. Uh, and, and that's really what it's all about. I have had numerous people over the last few months contact me. Some of them I know, some of them I don't. And they're asking, you know, can you help me deal with some stress and anxiety, whether it's in their life or at work or a combination of both? How do I balance my life? How do I uh, have a better life quality for myself? at work and at home and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there are ways to do it. And once you open that door and you open yourself up to the, the fact that it is possible to achieve that, whether you want to believe it or not, it is possible. Uh, that's where I would come in and, and help you kind of think a little bit differently about the way you're doing things and, and help you figure out a better way to look at your situation and, and improve everything around you. So that's, that's what the coaching thing is all about. I, I do offer uh, workshops, webinars. Uh, I'll custom build any kind of a program for you or your team. Uh, so this is for individuals on a personal level and also for 
actual working teams and companies and, and all that kind of stuff. So I know we can't get together in person much of these days because of COVID, but don't let that stop you because I'm set up to do virtual everything. So uh, we can do a, a large conference talk. I can do a keynote speech. Um, or I can have small workshops with select members of your team to talk through things. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can get in touch with me. Either email me directly at michaelm at bebettercp.com, or you can go to the website, bebettercp.com, and kind of browse through the services, send me a message through the website, and, and I'll get back to you. So that's all I have. Thank you again for, for checking out season one. I, I hope you'll all be back for season two. Uh, I plan on coming back strong and great new guests with new inspiration. So thanks again. Happy holidays to everybody. Stay safe and, and enjoy. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. This is season one finale, episode 10, Kitchen Brain Podcast. Chef Brian Skelding. Let's go. Kitchen Brain. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kitchen Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Matarazzo. And today's episode, we're talking to Chef Brian Skelding. Uh, chef Brian Skelding is the executive chef of the renowned Greenbrier Resort in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. Those of you that know me, uh, you know, know that I am a past uh, Greenbrier apprenticeship graduate and the Greenbrier is very close to my heart. Uh, cool thing about my relationship with Brian is that um, he was, he had the position of saucier when I started at the Greenbrier. Um, and, you know, the rest of the story will come to light uh, during this podcast. But incredible, incredible talent, uh, incredible leader. And uh, you'll see an incredible kind of uh, resume and, and pathway through the industry. It's, it's, it's one of the more uh, quality peppered, uh, you know, pathways that, that you could see uh, in the industry. It's pretty cool. So, uh, Chef, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh asking me to do this. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Uh, yeah. it's, um, it's been a little while, you know, we're, we're both real busy. We're, we're only two hours away from each other, but, uh, you know, we're, our, our, our work and lives, uh, take over and, and we don't get to talk enough. So this is, uh, also a good way for us to catch up a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I just kind of want to give everybody a, a better picture and a better introduction to Brian Skelding. Um, and cause I've, I've always been, uh, really, uh, inspired by your path. And, and I think it's a, it's a great, uh, kind of journey through the industry from when you, you started out. Um, you are from your Wisconsin, Wisconsin guy, right? That's correct. Yeah. James, James Wisconsin. Serious cheese man there. Um, Still is, to this wait, day. is cheddar supposed to be yellow or not? Uh, in Wisconsin, it must be. It must be. Okay. I don't, yeah. you know, I remember yeah. you used to be very adamant about the color and, and, and whether it should or shouldn't be. I just don't remember which way it was supposed to go. Do you remember the sign that I had down at Sam Sneeds that said no white pepper, no white cheddar? I, you know what? Now I do. Now yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Got pretty it. serious about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, yeah. So if you could just kind of walk us through, because I know, you know, going back to Hankies and, and if there's obviously there's there's some stuff before that. Uh, and, and I'm not even really too familiar with with what happened before there. But uh, I'm really interested in kind of hearing the path that you took and, and the new chapters uh, as you went along in, in the industry. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So, you know, I originally uh, went to school for accounting in Whitewater, Wisconsin, and I was going to school and I've always been into cooking and really enjoyed, you know, being in the kitchen with my family, my grandmother, my mother. And, you know, I just didn't really, it just didn't really do it for me. Um, and honestly, it's one of those things that sounds kind of strange, but it was really an epiphany. And I decided to go to culinary school. I said, why not? And I'd worked at uh, Dairy Queen for five and a half years and, you know, restaurant, if you would. Um, but once I decided to go to culinary school, I wanted to um, work in a supper club. It was kind of the, the high end food in Janesville, Wisconsin. Um, it's called the Hoffman House. And, you know, it was prime rib, um, Friday night fish fry. Um, started out on the salad bar, you know, had to do all the cut everything for the salad bar. And I'd own that salad bar, if you would, and make sure my uh, hot bacon dressing was always warm and super flavorful and, and things like that. So I worked there for a couple of years uh, while I was going to culinary school and um, worked also at a Shanala Supper Club in uh, uh, Wisconsin, up in the Dells area. Uh, again, all while I was going to school. And I just had this bug in me to really travel. And I decided to uh, go to Honolulu, Hawaii. And I guess the reason I did was I wanted to just kind of break away and, and get away from everything I had known. And so I bought a one-way ticket and I saved, I'd saved a, a couple thousand bucks and I put on a suit and put everything in my backpack and I tried to get a job. I couldn't find anything. No one returned my calls. This was pre, you know, everything we're doing right now. Um, you know, I'd sent out resumes via snail mail and things like that and didn't really get any responses. So I said, you know what, to heck with it. I'm going to go out there and check it out and um, looked around and I wanted to work at either the Royal Hawaiian Hotel um, or um, the Mandarin Oriental, which is right on the other side of Diamond Head. So um, I went out there and got myself a little hotel room and a little studio apartment and put on my only suit again and walked into the Royal Hawaiian Hotel and asked if I could speak to the executive chef. Uh, his name was Tom Wong. I did my research and they said they, so they called him. I was right in the front desk in the middle of the, the pink palace as it was. And he said, yeah, come on back. And he actually made me wait outside his office for an hour. And I just stood there like, like one of those soldiers over, you know, in Europe, just waiting for my chance, you know, to get a job here. And, you know, after an hour, he said, come on in. And he, we talked a little bit. And I told him what I was doing here and my story. And uh, he hired me on essentially as part-time. So I had to call in every day by 9 a.m. and see what my schedule was. I wasn't officially on the schedule. Pretty nerve-wracking, you know, because I wasn't essentially a full-time employee. Right. Um, but, you know, I ended up working uh, for, with them for a couple of months and ended up getting a full-time position. And in the meantime, kind of developed a relationship with him and found out that he worked at the Greenbrier Hotel. And he was a past apprenticeship. Uh, sorry, a past apprentice uh, graduate. And, you know, I seen that plate inside of his office that everyone wants with the spring house on it and yeah. everyone signs and stuff. Right. And uh, I'd asked him one day, I said, what's that all about? He said, you've never heard of the Green Bar Hotel? 
And he says, in West Virginia. And I said, West Virginia? I was like, really? And so he told me the whole story about it. And long story short, he ended up, uh, you know, really talked with him a lot, helped him out with a lot of special events, flew over the Big Island with him twice and did some different dine arounds at some of the hotels over there. And he was getting married at the time. He was engaged. And he said, you know, you need to meet, need, you need to meet a gentleman, chef I worked for at the Green Bar at the time. His name was uh, Hartmut Hanke. And he said, I refer to him as Hard Nuts Hanke because he's just, <laughs> you know, he's just, he's just that type of guy. He said, greatest cook I ever met in my whole life. And he said, you need to be a great cook before you're anything. So essentially, he, Chef Hanke came over. He introduced me to him. We talked a little bit and um, ended up, you know, offering me a job. And after Hawaii, went and moved over to Columbus, Ohio. Worked with Chef Hanke for about two years. And unbelievable time in my life, for sure. Um, really pushed the fundamentals. Um, really... I mean, it was, it was such a great restaurant in the brewery district of Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, some of the best times of my life were, were at that restaurant. And my goal was always after that, then to go to the green bar. And I wasn't always sure if I wanted to do the apprenticeship program. I went back and forth numerous times. I worked with Ken Hess and Tim Loveland. Um, you know, back in those days, the apprentices would leave for the winter, you know, go maybe externship at a place because the hotel was crazy slow, 40 people in at a night. Yeah, right. And, and uh, um, so I met with those guys and, and the, we ended up working together for almost two years. And I decided to go to the Green Bar after that for essentially one season. And I was going to, I just wanted to work in the tavern room. Didn't know who the chef was there at the time. At the time it was Scott, Chef Hagley, I'd heard. And I, I went down and interviewed with Chef Mengel. He was the executive sous chef at the time. And uh, he ended up bringing me on board. And I moved down and ended up meeting Chef Rosendale for the first time. And after, you know, probably two weeks, he said, hey, you know, you should probably be the lead chef here. I said, I don't, I don't know what a lead chef is. He's like, well, you know, you kind of be, you know, just underneath me, essentially. So um, ended up taking that position and worked with him. Phenomenal experience in the tavern room. Doesn't exist anymore at the Green Bar. Um, it's actually right now where like JJ's is. It's right underneath Prime 44 Restaurant. And um, so worked there for a season. And then Chef Timmons, um, he, I remember he came down one day. It was October. And forgive me if I'm getting a little long-winded here. No, I'm you're kinda, good. You're good. Yeah, okay. Um, so he came down and I was planning on moving out to Los Angeles because um, back in those days, I wanted to be a, a sushi chef. I thought that was like, I, I'm still obsessed to this day with chef knives and sushi and all that stuff. Yeah. And um he came down one day and he said, Hey, uh, Brian, he's like, I, I really could use an extra hand to get through the holidays, you know? And back in those days, it was, you know, chef Timmons, chef Timmons came by and if he asked you something, he said, yes, chef. He said, would you mind sticking around till, you know, maybe January? Yes, chef. Nope. Not a problem. You know? So, um, I ended up sticking around, get through all the holidays. I went back to the main kitchen. I helped out up there, you know, work saw station. Um, I worked my first, essentially saw station rotation, um, the night of graduation that year. Um, That's a Rob good Plesch, night. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was it was graduation night. And Rob Plesh came to me that night and I hadn't worked saw station yet because I'd worked in the tavern room the whole time. Right. He said, uh, he said, Sheffy, um, I'm going to go ahead and need someone to make sauces tomorrow. 
uh, do you think you could do that? I'm thinking to myself, well, let's see. Um, probably won't have slept in 37 hours straight because I've been here. But yeah, why not sign me up? <laughs> he's like, tell you what, I'll give you Don Nak- Dan Nakamura. He's a, a culinarian from Hawaii. He's an apprentice. He's like, I'll give, I'll give you him to help you out. I said, that sounds fantastic. So I ended up leaving for about 30 minutes, went to White Sulphur, showered, came back. And uh, after I helped out uh, Corbett, uh, put up for that year and did Saw Station. Um, anyway, so I finished out that whole year, went out to Los Angeles and, you know, Tom Wong, who I met in Hawaii was one of my mentors, still is obviously one of my greatest mentors to this day. Um, I told him the whole story um, because before I left, Chef Timmons offered me the saucier position and I turned it down and he looked at, he, we were talking over the phone and he said, you know what? He said, he said, you're an idiot. You need to take that saucier position. You need to go back to the green bar and take that position. Um, he said, hang up the phone right now, call Chef Timmons, tell him you take the position. And I honestly, I did exactly that. And Chef Timmons was happy to hear from me. He said, let's bring you back here in April. And I ended up, you know, again, such a great experience. Chef Timmons had told me, he said, he said, Brian, if you can do the saucier position, I promise you, you can do any position that ever comes across your way. That's like how difficult it was. That's the truth. Yeah. So um, so I ended up going back that year and I was saucier for just under two years. Um, the first three months were, I would, I'd say the equivalent of the hardest times of my life is the same three months of trying to work with Chef Hankey in Columbus, Ohio, you know, sitting outside, waiting to get inside the restaurant, smoking cigarettes, you know, waiting to like, just get in there and just run because, you know, they forced you to, um, you know, you had so much prep to do in such a short amount of time, but it wasn't like, yeah, yeah, come in early. That's no problem. No, they had payroll to make. So you had to come in at, you know, two or two 30. And that's, that, that had to be what, that was probably, uh, was that O2? It was, yeah, 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 that was O2, Because I started, um, I started down there in the apprenticeship in 03. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I thought I remembered you being there for about a year or so before I got there. Um, and it's, it's funny to, uh, to hear you say, you know, running all over the place. I mean, anybody who hasn't been to the Greenbrier, I mean, the main kitchen, it, do you, what's the square footage? Do you know the square footage of the main kitchen? I don't. It's. I, don't. I usually tell people how many of my kitchens at work can fit inside the Greenbrier yeah. kitchen. That's usually yeah. how I measure it out. But it is. It's absolutely enormous. Uh, and everybody always thinks that we're we're exaggerating when we talk about the Greenbrier and the kitchen. And then when they go there, they're like, "Whoa, you weren't kidding." Um, but you know, I, I I joke a lot, and it's kind of, it's true though. Um, it, when whenever I talk about Brian Skelding. Uh, to anybody, I refer to him as the guy who taught me how to walk. Uh, and that's not really a metaphor. Uh, it's kind of a literal statement because I'll, I'll never forget, I, I didn't have uh, a uniform yet or a hat or some part of my uniform. Um, so I needed to find out where the uniform room was. And I get into the kitchen and there's, there's Brian on the station. Um, and he, he's, a, he's a tall guy. He's got long legs. Uh, so he's already got a, a, a good stride on me. I'm, I'm five, seven. Um, and I see, Hey chef, how you doing? I'm here. I'm supposed to work here. And he's like, all right, let's show you where the uniform room is. And I, I mean, I didn't even, 
I, I turned for a second. I looked back and he's halfway across the kitchen and I was like, whoa, I guess we're going that way. <laughs> and uh, and then I, I, you know, you come to find out real quick that that's that's just there's so much ground to cover there and yeah. so much to do that there's no other way to walk. You know, I mean, you 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 definitely see a distinct uh, style of walking from from past Greenbrier chefs. Uh, I tell and, people if, if they can't keep up with me, if they're here to do a stage or a job interview, if they can't keep up with me from when I pick them up at the guard check to the uniform room, probably not getting the job because you got to have a sense of urgency. You do. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard you say that before. And, and to this day, uh, when I interview people and I take them on a tour, um, I make sure to walk at a brisk pace that I would expect our staff to. Uh, and I'm doing that to see like, where are they? You know, if they're still right. around the yep. corner, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. You know, that might be a sign uh, of, of, of passion or excitement. But uh, but yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just um, no, no, when, when you brought up the, the running around thing, I, I, I always remember that day where I, I, I learned what kind of pace I needed to be at in order to keep yeah. up there. Yeah. Um, so you uh, that that was that was my first year was 2003. And, uh, it, this is where, this is where I think it gets really interesting, um, for, for, for you. I mean, we, you were saucier until I graduated. Yeah. Um, that was Oh five. And then take, take it from there. Cause that's when, that's when things started to move a bit. Yeah. So Oh five was a big year for me. Um, you know, I, I loved being saucier. I literally loved it. And it's one of the best jobs I've ever had. And Rob Plush came to me multiple times and he said, Hey, I want you to be a sous chef. I, I want you to talk to Chef Timmons about it. And I see, I said, I'm not ready. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into the black pants. And one day, you know, again, as I said earlier, like tavern room style, Chef Timmons came down. He said, Hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you swing up to the office real quick? I said, yeah, absolutely. Chef, no problem. And he, he brought me upstairs and he closed the door and he said, I'm going to post a position. I'm going to post a sous chef position. I'd like you to bid on it. Okay. Yes, chef. That's no problem, you know, and uh, again, totally didn't want to, but Hey, if that's, that's what he thought was best for the team and for what needed to be done, then uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went ahead and bid on it and he gave me the job, you know, had to do an interview and things like that. And I spent the first six months in the main kitchen with the one and only Rob Plesh. Um, awesome experience, you know, him and I are running banquets in the main kitchen and, you know, getting crushed on the scoreboard and, um, trying to run everything by herself. So uh, he taught me a whole heck of a lot. And, at, you know, as we kind of finished through that season, um, the summer I actually have, had opened up the pool, Jim Waltman was there. And it was right when we did a complete renovation of the outdoor pool. Um, so that was really my first gig is I had to do that and then the main kitchen. Um, anyways, towards the end of the summer then is uh, Jim Waltman, uh, Chef Timmons asked me to start covering his days off. and and then, uh, so I started doing that down at Sam Sneed's and then come winter time, Chef Altman took some time off and he ended up going back up to Hershey hotel and Chef Timmons came to me in early spring. And he said, you have two weeks to get me a menu. You're going to be running the Sam Sneed's restaurant. And I said, oh my gosh. And that was crazy stressful. I was like two weeks. So I talked to Alex Iliadis who had run it, you know, three years prior and, uh, yeah, so I was super grateful that he gave me that opportunity to run the golf club that year, um, which was uh, ended up being, what was it, 05? And then uh, 
And then he gave it to me again the next year, which is where you and I, you know, you and I'd worked together extensively, but, you know, and you got promoted to sous chef and came down to Sam Sneeds and, you know, we crushed it in 06 that whole year. And yeah, man. Uh, that was, that was awesome. That was such that a good year. Awesome. That, that yeah. I, I, so I, I always say, um, if people ask me what my favorite kitchen was, um, you know, when, when I was, when I was working the line, um, that year and that kitchen is still to this day, uh, it, it blows everything else away. It was such, such a cool thing. And, and one thing that, that everybody needs to know, um, about, about Brian Skelding and, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blow a lot of smoke your way, but this is, this is the truth. Um, the, the best thing for me about being around you uh, and, and working for you at Sam Sneeds, um, and, and I still believe this, I still have yet to uh, encounter somebody who gives off this same vibe. Um, when you, cause you would, you would often, uh, you know, you would, you took pride in prepping specials for the restaurant. You know, you were never too busy to be, in the kitchen with us when we were prepping and uh when you were touching food uh the amount of passion the, the the way that you express your love for food when you're when you're in a kitchen is so contagious like it's like no like i i remember stopping numerous times i can remember stopping and thinking like man this guy just loves it like this he and and then you get excited you know like it's it's yeah. impossible to not be excited about food when this guy is is in the room touching it near you and talking about it and teaching you something about the spice he's using um i mean you know i love food i love to cook it's it's my life but the the level of of just love for for the craft um it, it like exudes from you when, when you're in the kitchen. And that was, you know, that was one of the best things for me was being around that, you know, and kind of feeling that, that positivity and that, uh, that passion. I'll never forget that. That was awesome. Um, I appreciate that. That was, that was a great year. And, you know, we had the Scott brothers and, uh, you know, <laughs> that's right. oysters. And I mean, we got clobbered down there at Sam Seeds that we summer, did, you know, and, you know, you were such a great, you know, sous chef to work with too, because, you know, the recipes that you would bring in, I remember doing like hollandaise sauce and gnocchis and, you know, you and I would talk about, you know, how do we, you know, how do we teach all these young guys, you know, what we've taught, you know, and I still honestly use when we do orientation to this day, I still use a document that you created and I still give you credit is how to be a successful line cook. Remember when you put that together? I do. I still give it out. Yeah. I I mean, it it was, it's, such great detail, you know, scrubbing down your station, you know, sense of urgency, how you walk, how you set up your station, um, you know, breaking down as quickly as you are setting up. So, um, yeah, a lot, I think both of us learned a lot that year, you know, we're yeah. both very young in our careers. Yeah. It was a great time, man. Yeah. Great time. Um, so keep going, man. Cause it just, it just gets more, it just gets cooler and cooler as, as you go along. Um, well, I, 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 I left, that. I left in, 07 i think it was january 07 uh i left and went up to new york um and then i'm not i'm not sure i kind of i know where you went i just don't know when yep. you went uh, so i left right in january of 07 too 
Okay. I finished off that 06 season. I think January 16th was my last day. And, you know, in August, I had actually met with Chef Rosendale and I'd gone up to Columbus and he said, hey, you know, I ended up getting the spot. It was an old used car lot um, right downtown in the short north of Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I went up there and talked about an opportunity where he was going. He got some investors and was going to open up a restaurant, you know, and, you know, I'd just gotten married at the time that year. And, you know, I'd worked with Chef Rosendale for, for numerous years. And I was like, you know what? as much as I didn't want to leave the green bar, it was just an opportunity. I just couldn't, I couldn't pass up. So I let Shift Tibbins know, you know, that August, end of August that I'd be leaving um, in January, gave him a good couple months heads up, you know, for the following season. Cause as you know, the green bar, you know, it, it's a little quiet, January, February, March. Um, so yeah, so we opened up Rosendale's, it was March 17th of 2007, um, St. Patty's day. And it was a bloodbath like any other, uh, but we loved every minute of it. Um, we had Ben Groupie come down and stage with us for a week. We had John Ferguson come down and stage with us yeah. for a week. Um, Drew Garms was there. Eddie Tank, yeah. Drew Garms was sous chef. Um, Eddie Tancredi was sous chef. Um, Who was your Garmage guy or, or the pastry guy? What was his name? He was the that was Baco, the man. Bar. Yeah, that was Baco. Alex Baco. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah. I remember he told, uh, it was like opening night and chef Timmons came back in the kitchen, like with Rod Stoner and, you know, Baco, he'd never done any pastries before. And he was our like pastry chef. <laughs> and he told chef Timmons, he's like, I just started how to make simple syrup last week. <laughs> you know what though? That is, that is a true testament uh, to Rosendale's organization, particularly with recipes. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. recipes have always been like, you could hand them to, I, I could hand them to one of my kids yeah, and and yeah. they would probably be able to get it right. I mean, he is so detailed. And, and you know, I mean, when you started to see photos of the, the, the plates that Baco was putting out, it was like, phenomenal. Yeah. Man, I phenomenal. mean, this guy, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. So, you know, we did that for two and a half years. You know, we were there down in Columbus and I remember Rosendale sent me out to the French Laundry de Stage for eight days, and that was in early September of oh, nice. 2000, 2008, you know, because that was our goal. You know, we wanted to really be, you know, the next upcoming restaurant in the United States, destination restaurant. And I tell you what, I got back that week and the recession hit us hard. I mean, it was like a light switch. And you look outside, you know, the short north in the Columbus area and it was dead. I mean, there weren't people anywhere and I've never experienced anything like that. So we went through that for, you know, almost the next year. And it was, you know, watching everything that we ordered, watching labor, trimming wherever, everything that we could. It was a very difficult part of our careers. Um, but it was one that really made us tough. I mean, I learned so much in that year, even though, you know, it wasn't the greatest year of my life. Uh, but looking back, growing as a chef, it probably was one of the greatest years of my life because I really learned how to manage food costs, manage labor costs. How do you, um, how do you give the value to the guest when you only have so much money to spend? How do you start combining stations? How do you, how do you look at someone and say, you know, uh, I'm not going to need you today because honestly, as a chef, you know, chef de cuisine of the restaurant, 
we weren't bringing in enough revenue, you know? So in right. a lot of restaurants were going through that just as how we're going through right now in 2020 with the coronavirus. Sure. Um, so I've learned, you know, going through that has helped me a lot going through the flood at the green bar coronavirus this year, um, you know, and how to manage your costs because at the end of the day, I mean, you got to be able to open up the next day. So anyways, um, so then, you know, I remember one day Chef Rosenell got a call and he said, you know, he said the green bar just called me, you know, and when you work at the green bar, you always stay close, you know, Nancy right, yeah. Graham might send you like an email or, right. you know, you hear just different things. And uh, said, yeah, we heard Jim Justice bought the property. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, who is that? You know, I was like, wow, it's a local guy in Lewisburg and um, buying the green bar out from the Marriott. And they called Rich and said, hey, we'd like you to come down and check out to be the uh, executive chef. He said, what do you think I should do? I said, can't hurt to go check it out. And uh, so he, he ended up going down, came back and he said, man, he goes, unbelievable. He goes, this place, I mean, it's, he goes, Brian, it's going to change everything that we saw before we left. And he goes, but here's the thing. You got to come back as my executive Sue. And uh, I said, well, you know, let me check with the old wifey and see what she thinks. Right. And, you know, my wife and I met here on a blind date and she said, let's do it. She goes, I'd love to move back there. So uh, we ended up moving back in September of 09 and uh, Eddie Tane and Creddy ran the restaurant for a while in Columbus. Um, and then Rich ended up selling the place. You know, he found a great buyer and found a guy who had, you know, found a company that would take care of it. So he could focus completely on the green bar. Right. Um, so we bought the place. We opened up numerous restaurants, a casino. And uh, so I was the executive sous chef for three and a half years. And while Rich was there and, you know, amazing time. We did so much to the property. We, we redid, you know, pulled out the cold meats, uh, you know, the, the old uh, showcase that you would see up there. Yeah. Um, you know, rearrange the main kitchen, open up three new restaurants. Cause the, the goal was at the green bar to, um, you know, have just more of a variety for the guests. So, you know, within that time, again, learned a lot. Rich was doing the Bokus at the time. And, and then, uh, you know, Rich came to me one day and he said, you know what? He said, it's time for me to move on. He said, I got some other things that I want to do. And he said, I think I'm going to go to Mr. Kimmick. And, uh, he's a president at the time. And, he goes, I, I think I'm going to put in my notice. And, uh, and he did, you know, he put it in very gracefully. And that very same day, Esther, Mr. Kimmick uh, sent uh, Kathy Miller to me and said, you know, Rich has put in his resignation and we feel that you would be the, the next guy. You know, we really want you to do the next job, be the executive chef. And um, I said, I'd be honored to do that. You know, and that was seven and a half years ago. It's crazy how That's fast awesome. time goes by. Yeah. 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 That so, is so cool, man. Yeah. Um, very cool. So, yeah, I mean, it all kind of came full circle. I, I mean, literally, right. um, so, you know, you, you, you took over, you took the helm at, at a place that, um, you know, obviously you were very familiar with, which is, which is great. Um, but you know, a ton of history, a ton of, uh, um, tradition at the Greenbrier and, um, you know, it makes sense that, you know, somebody with your connection to it uh and tenure uh would would become the executive chef there and it's it's incredible to see that so you know you've seen a lot um through the years from i mean if you look back to when you were uh, in the tavern room as the the lead chef and then you look now i mean you you could talk about people you could talk about chefs and cooks you could talk about the facility itself and the growth of the property 
Um, how many how many restaurants or actually I should say how many kitchens are at the Greenbrier today? Uh, 14 kitchens, 14 kitchens and yeah. non pandemic year, full staff, white coats. What are we talking? 200. Ooh, that's wild. I, I, I mean, I, there, there, there's we were a far cry from 200 when I was there. But then again, we didn't have that many kitchens. It's about is about half. Yeah, it's about half. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's an incredible, incredible facility um, with with a lot to keep track of. Uh, my my thing is, you know, the, this apprenticeship program um, and, and I'm going to ask you to talk uh, a little bit about that for for anybody listening, because that's uh, that's you know, for me, that's that's the, the gold, the gold heart of, of the, the yeah. Greenbrier kitchen. Um, can you just kind of give an overview of the Greenbrier Apprenticeship Program? Um, and then I, I kind of want to talk about how it's evolved a little bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, the program started in 1957 by Herman Roosh. And the, you know, the main goal of that program was to um, really train local culinarians, local folks, if you would, um, because there weren't a lot of culinary schools back then. And originally it was a two-year program and you graduate, you know, every other year or so. And, you know, to this day, we are now a three-year program. We started years ago as a three-year program. Uh, but essentially the goal is to create a culinarian that has worked in um, every aspect of the kitchen, um, can essentially uh, run a sous chef position, uh, everything from charcuterie, butchery, uh, pastry skills, um, catering banquets, any kind of restaurant concept that you think of. My goal always is very simple, is that a Greenbrier culinarian should be able to, I don't really want them to leave, of course, but if they shall leave, uh, to be able to go into any other kitchen in the United States or anywhere in the world and, you know, not, not speak about their experiences, but put their experiences on a plate, put their experiences on the way that they work in a kitchen, how they organize themselves, how they, how clean that they work, how precise that they work, um, and let the food do the talking. Um, so, you know, and I could talk for hours about the program, but sure. you know, in a nutshell, it's really about just creating someone who is so well built in fundamentals from making consommes to, you know, cooking a burger properly to making a chicken liver terrine to, you know, everything, pate and croutes. I mean, you name it, you know, to know sure. all that stuff in three years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I I've spoken, um, a lot about on and off, uh, on this podcast and, and social media is sort of the, the evolution and the, and the necessity for evolution in every industry, right. Not just mm -hmm. ours, but, um, but definitely in, in our industry. And I, I think that, um, there are some, some natural or historic obstacles that, that we run into sometimes when we think about evolving certain aspects, but, um, the apprenticeship program looks a little bit different today uh, than it did when I was there. And, um, you know, when I was there, it was very heavily geared toward uh, kind of the culinary competition world um, and very focused on, you know, cold food platters and glazing and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, there's certainly a, a fair amount of hot food aspect to it, um, but it is a lot different now. And, and I, I've always admired the, the evolution that, that you've kind of put the program through since you started there. Um, 
what, what I, I want to, you know, it's called kitchen brain, right? So I, I just mm-hmm. kind of want to jump in your, your brain and, um, you know, tell me about when, at what point did, and, and I'm sure it was a gradual thing, but at, at what point did you really start to say, you know, um, this could be more relevant or this could be um, something that is, is more beneficial if, if we move some things around and what kind of changes have you made as a result? Um, so it honestly probably started as soon as I honestly started working there um, because I helped a lot of the graduates with their show work every night, Chris Long, Corbett Rook, Mike Trainer. I mean, I was in there till 4 a.m., you know, numerous nights of the week doing the show work. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I love the detail of it. But at the same time, I always ask myself, why can't we taste this food? Why can we not taste this food? And, but again, it goes back to, like I said earlier, you know, the yes chef mentality. And, you know, this is what it is. It's historically been that way. And that was actually the hardest thing I had to overcome to evolve the apprenticeship program was I didn't want to tarnish it. I didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want it to go away, you know, because that was, that was, that was on me, you know, as, as a chef of the resort. And so it was very, I wanted to do it right away when I first took over in 2013, but honestly, I was a little bit scared to, and again, it goes back to, I didn't want to screw it up. And there was one graduation night, you know, the night where we stay over 24 hours, everyone's glazing and things like that. And I saw a young culinarian do a technique that I totally did not agree with. And it was something that he just did just to get it, get it done and make sure that it was perfect. And it didn't matter that it was not edible. And I said to myself, this is it. I mean, as of this moment, and, and I'm totally honest here, it was that very moment where I said, next year is going to be different. It has to be different. We have to be able to build recipes in our repertoire that we can utilize in our industry. When we leave the green bar, we need to be able to say, hey, I can make a killer chicken liver terrine. I can make a great Cumberland sauce. Um, I can make, you know, a great pot of foo. All these different, you know, classic techniques that we were always taught, but they got to be edible. And so I started working um, with Chef McFadden. He was my first uh, CMC judge the following year. And I brought him in, Chef Hankey, and maybe his Coconauer that year. And I kind of explained to Chef McFadden what my goal was. And he said, you know what? He said, that's awesome. He said, you need to go with that. Let's do that. So for three years in a row, he was a, a judge. And each year we talked a little bit about more and more and, um, you know, just kind of kept refining everything. And I, I pulled the trigger, was it four years ago with Chef Nile Walker? And he was, a, he was the only senior that year. And I remember going to him that year and said, you know what, we're changing everything. And he's like, what, what do you mean you're changing everything? So just hear me out. And he thought it was great. You know, we, and we, we changed throughout the year. We changed how the, how the graduation is going to be set up. We changed how long you had, we changed the kitchens, um, you know, and it's still evolving. It will always evolve. But at the end of the day, it had to come down to the taste of the food because at the end of the day, you gotta be able to put up super tasty food for your guests. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I, I love uh, where the the program has gone. Um, you know, and seeing uh, all the photos that you post, and and for anybody who's on Instagram, uh, if you follow at Brian Skelding on Instagram, and it's Brian with a Y, so B R Y A N, 
uh, Skelding uh, is the Instagram handle and just constantly, um, you know, being updated with posts and, and promoting the apprenticeship program, promoting the apprentices and really showcasing their talents and, and what they're learning in the program. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to see. So I, I definitely encourage everybody to, to look at that. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, uh, and you don't have to get into details. Hmm. Have you, you know, it is a, it is a long standing, uh, program. I mean, it's been around, uh, like you said, um, since Herman Roosh was there, have you encountered any criticism about any of the changes that you've made to the program? Uh, surprisingly not. Um, every judge that has come in over since those four years, uh, chef Tease, chef, Kevin Walker, um, Kyle Krieger, McFadden, um, everyone has actually surprisingly been very happy with it and applauded me for taking the risk, uh, to change a program. And I tell you what, it was sleepless nights trying to make that decision because again, there's, there's such a legacy there and I yeah. did not want to screw it up. So, uh, but no, I, fortunately I have not, um, but there's also been little tweaks, you know, and it may be with the apprentices and talking about, all right, I remember now the first mock graduation that we did, I think I set aside like 12 hours, you know, and to this day, it's, you know, really nine hours and we just had so much time. He's like, chef, I, I, I got too much time. I was like, really, you got too much time? He's like, yeah, yeah I do. We got to cut this down. So, um, you know, I think that's an important lesson for any culinarian out there is to always be open-minded to those that you work with, you know, even though my title essentially is executive chef, um, I think it's important to always take feedback from everyone around you because the answer is usually in the room that whatever needs to be fixed, someone has that answer in their back pocket. So you just got to be open-minded and be willing to look at it. Yeah. Well, you're like the 21st century Herman Roosh, really. I mean, you know, you think know about, about it. <laughs> I mean, That's, you know, it's, uh... it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool legacy to, 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 to have there, um, you know, not just being the executive chef of the Greenbrier, but, um, you know, being someone who, you know, was the, the, was the change, you know, and, and a change that was needed. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not really uh, completely surprised that there, there wasn't, um, wasn't criticism. Uh, and that's just based on the quality that I see coming out of there. So, um, yeah, I think it's awesome. And, and, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, I would thank you for, for preserving the apprenticeship, you know, just as a past, uh, apprentice. Yeah. I appreciate um, that. You know, I think that I, I would say that everybody, uh, at least everybody I've spoken to certainly appreciates what you've done to, uh, improve it, keep it alive, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's cool stuff. Well, so, this, I will continue to fight to keep the apprenticeship program going and going, and going as long as I possibly can. So, um, we already have three, I'm sorry, six sophomores already for next year, three savory, three pastry. So we're, we're looking great. So nice. Where, where does somebody go, um, to apply for that? What's the avenues they should take? Uh, best thing to do is all the, I mean, there's a small part. If you go on greenbrier.com, there's a small web page underneath, uh, essentially the, uh, the dine, you know, the whole culinary history and everything gives a little bit of a breakdown about the apprenticeship program. Uh, my email's on there. There's a stage form on there some information about what it, you know, what we're looking for. Um, and then it all comes to me. And then, you know, we start talking over the phone, um, looking at resumes, getting some letters of reference. Um, I have a young man coming up tomorrow from Orlando and he's going to stage for the whole day. And he's looking at doing the program in 2021 as well. So um, it's important to, 
you know, go through that, come check us out. Um, and again, that's why you mentioned earlier about my Instagram. I, I post on my Instagram to kind of just show the culture of the green bar and the kitchens and what we're trying to do accomplish yeah. every day. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, awesome. So greenbriar.com uh, to, to learn more about the resort and the apprenticeship program. And uh, there are some steps on there that you can take uh, if you're interested in applying. I, I obviously, I, I highly, highly recommend it for anybody looking for some uh, solid training and, and direction. Um, so when we talk about evolution, uh, leadership is also kind of a, a, a thing that we get into on this show quite a bit and different styles of leadership. And, and that's, you know, that's another thing that has evolved. So kind of, this is kind of a, a two-part thought here to throw at you. Um, you know, you, you kind of specialize in, in, in a way, uh, just the way an educator does, you know, because of the apprenticeship program, uh, you, you recruit and hire and uh, teach uh, and mentor young culinarians or culinarians. I, I don't have to use the word. I mean, young in the industry um, through the kind of the earlier stages of their career and, and help them, you know, move forward. So over the years, you have seen multiple generations of apprentices and, and kind of every year's new generation. Um, and there's, you know, I kind of get into a little back and forth with people about you know, there's a lot of dialogue out there about, you know, this new generation. Um, and, you know, that's, that's where I kind of, I, I, I have a little bit of a, uh, an opinion of it on my own, as far as, you know, every generation, when you say new generation, I mean, by definition, it's different than it was before. Um, so I think we need to expect that there's going to be a different mindset and a different type of personality and work ethic. And, and, and I believe, yep. I believe that that's shaped, um, by society at the time, you know, the time you come into the world, societies around you, you know, that's going to shape each generation. Um, you know, when you think about your leadership style, um, and, and again, this might be two separate answers for you, but. Um, when you think about your leadership style uh, back when you were just becoming, uh, you know, more of a supervisory chef with lead chef and sous chef positions, uh, and then compared to now, um, and then even the generations of cooks, like how, how do you view every new generation? Um, are you treating the people who are coming in today as young culinarians the same way as you might have treated them? Uh, or dealt with them, um, you know, back in the day? That's, uh, there's some pretty good questions there. Um, I guess I'll start off with probably, you know, has my management style changed? Uh, it absolutely has. And it's something that I work on every single day. And I think as a young manager, um, I didn't always understand that I needed to get people to want to work for me. It's just like, I, you know, I was in this yes chef, you know, environment and it's just like, hey, this is it. It needs to be done this way. Do it. Don't ask questions. Um, you know, and, and I didn't, I guess mentally, I didn't always really think about it a whole lot. I just did it. And I guess as I kind of started working up through the ranks is I really want to develop, developing relationships is very important for me. And part of it was my personality. Part of it, part of it is 
I just, I want to have a nice culture in the kitchen and nice. I don't mean as like, we're all just hunky dory and Hey, how are you doing? And things like that. But it's the fact that we all enjoy coming into work together every day and we enjoy working with each other and we enjoy our passions and we enjoy our work ethics together. And we're okay. You know, if someone is, you know, need some help over there and we, we jump over there and ask, you know, we jump in and help them out. Um, so I think my management style has matured a little bit is I've really tried to, I guess, train people to be better people, not only just better cooks, but just better people. Um, maybe part of that is be, becoming a parent, you know, 12 years ago and raising two young daughters with my wife, Sarah, um, is, you know, life isn't all about just one thing. It's about like how you mentioned earlier, it's about balance. Sure. Um, so for me, management style is about balance, you know, and I really try to understand more about people's personal lives and giving them the time off that they request. Um, I try to invigorate people and bring things in um, maybe more so than I did when I was younger and bringing things in, you know, and the apprenticeship has helped me a lot with that. And it's helped me learn. It seems like the more I put into the apprenticeship, the better results I get. And that's across the board. That's not just with the apprentices because the apprentices at the green bar they're just like the stewarding team. They're the backbone of the culinary team. They're the backbone of the food and beverage team. Um, so when their energy level is positive, when they're working on all cylinders, when they have rest, uh, when they enjoy coming in every day, I found throughout the years that I see a better food product. I see a better morale in the kitchens. Um, I see people just enjoying life. And, and that's important to me. It really, really is. I enjoy my day off just as much as the next guy. Um, but I'm also super passionate about what I do. And again, going back to raising my daughters, you know, I don't care what they do with their lives. I just want them to be passionate about that, about it. And I want them to enjoy what they're doing and not call it work. And, you know, for me, I, I go into the green bar every day. I don't go to work every day. I just go to the green bar every day and I enjoy my time in the kitchen. So hope that answers the first part of your question. Yeah, no, I think that was great. Okay. And then uh, remind me again what the second part of the question was again. So just, well, I mean, you, you kind of, you kind of hit, well, you, you kind of hit both, but um, just speaking more specifically about the generations of cooks that you've observed. So the generation of cooks, um, I agree with you. Um, A couple of years ago, I read an article and I I think about this often and I give it to every chef de cuisine that starts and it's from the Harvard Law University. And it talks about the six different management styles because I manage people from six different generations of people who grew up in whether there was a war or there wasn't, was there a depression or was there a recession, um, all that stuff. Like you said, we're all come from our environments. We're all come from the, the time that we were raised in. And it's important as a leader to understand how to get people to want to work for you. And you can't just have the same mindset with everyone. You know, you need to develop relationships differently. Some people, some team members or generations, however you want to label it, maybe need a little bit more time spent with them. Maybe need to talk to them differently. Um, Or maybe not. Maybe it's someone who just likes to be left alone, but not only the generational gap, but I think you also need to look at people as individuals and really try to get to know them a little bit. It's very important to me to be able to call everyone by their first name because I think it creates an identity and an individual. And with 200 people, it's super tough. It's super tough. 
and and that's just culinarians. And in this era with the masks, it's been even more difficult because face sure. recognition for me is a way to you know really um, essentially for me to kind of remember and to bond with people. So um, you know, as it relates to gener generational gap, I think everyone has their pluses and minuses. I, I don't think that there's any better generation or um, you know, are we dealing with, a, you know, the young generation, maybe with a weird work ethic, maybe us as leaders need to do a better job and figure out different ways to um, motivate them. And, and again, absolutely. Some, some of it comes down to just what I had to deal with, with my own daughters, you know, is how do you motivate them to do what they want to do? Right. And I, I bring both of those things. I bring home into work and I bring work into home to help myself always try to be a better dad, a better husband um, and a better chef every single day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with what you said. I, 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 I put, I don't remember what it was that I posted um, on, <clears throat> excuse me, on Instagram. Uh, I think it was Instagram. Um, I think it was my, my video, the uh, why I don't like chefs video when I was kind of driving around Charlottesville and yeah, I saw that, yeah. my little rant, but uh, <laughs> some, some, I, I got one, one big comment um, on YouTube for that. And this guy, uh, basically his first line was like, yeah, that pretty much, uh, that's pretty much BS. Uh, and then he continued and, and, you know, one of the things he mentioned, and I hear it a lot is, is, is just one of the little things, you know, the, these, these new kids coming into our kitchens now, they can't keep their eyes off their cell phones and, and, you know, they don't, they're not, they don't have their priorities in check. And my thought is like, if, if, if you can't get your staff to get their eyes off their cell phones, there's something more interesting happening on their cell phones than what you are providing them with. You know, yeah. I mean, that, that there's a point at which you have to kind of say like, um, you know, what, what kind of atmosphere, what kind of education, what kind of motivation and excitement are you bringing to the table? Um, you know, if that's the case and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there are, there are people who, you know, uh, occasionally come into your kitchen that, that you hire and you know, some of them just, they just don't work, you know, they just don't fit or for whatever reason. Um, and that happens, but, you know, just to, to generalize the entire population of, of this new workforce coming in as bad, um, or, or that something's wrong with them. I just, I can't, I can't go along with that. You know, I can't get on board there. I totally agree. And as leaders in our, in our kitchens, you know, that's up to us to figure that out and how to motivate people. Uh, because I'm honestly, I, I'm sure my dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather probably said the exact same thing about every young generation yeah. that they ran into wherever they worked at. It's, I've heard it, you know, it's just an old story. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool, man. I, uh, you know, the, the one thing, you know, in our industry, people talk about addiction, um, and, uh, you have a problem with collecting knives. <laughs> what? You have a lot of knives, chef. What I, I, this is a passion of yours. And, <clears throat> and I remember uh, you taught me better than anybody. I mean, I learned before I met you, but I still didn't really get it. Uh, how to sharpen a knife. And you broke down like, you know, the metal, you gave me a sandpaper analogy and, the different degrees of sandpaper and what they do to wood and related it to what a stone does to uh, a knife and, you know, the grit and all that kind of stuff. Um, you have a look on your face like that. Wasn't you, was that, that was you, wasn't it? Uh, I just think it's, 
No, I just, I'm just, that's my, my, my voice of passion. Cause I, I am super, I always love talking about knives, you know? So I was like, okay, cool. If you're going to talk about that, I hope you're ready for the next 30 minutes because we, we can go 30 minutes. On well, we, no we're going to have to do a, a sequel chef, but I, I just okay, wanted to right, point right. it out. Um, you, you have a ridiculous, ridiculous knife collection. How, how are they all chef knives? I've always wanted to ask you that. Um, with the exception of a couple of pocket knives. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have a couple of pocket knives, but yeah, they're, they're all chef knives. So you don't, you don't collect like combat knives or historical um, war knives or anything like that. I, I do not know. Okay. Just chef knives. Yeah. That, that yeah. has nothing to do with this show. I've just been curious and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you never call. So I figured I'll, I have to, I have to ask you while I have you. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, people might want to know though. What's your, what's your favorite? Um, you know, I was wondering if you're going to ask me that tonight. Um, so I do have two unicorns in my knife collection and one of them, my first one took me 10 years to find it. And it's a Hattori KD series. And it's a Damascus, uh, made by Hattori himself. Um, I found one on eBay about four years ago. Um, and the, so he's probably about 80 right now. And I was on a waiting list for three years to try to get one after he retired never, no one ever reached out to me. I've searched, I searched, I searched. Um, so my Hattori KD series, Damascus Santoku, um, is definitely up there. And then the one I recently got this year, um, from Ninox cause Ninox is, is probably my favorite company. Um, I've had them. My first one was in O2 from Corin, and I've been in love with them ever since. I and, remember that. Yeah. And I had, uh, I, I had the opportunity to have them make me a custom knife and it was, uh, last September. And I paid a, a good bit of money up front, talked to about the steel I wanted and, you know, the handle I wanted and all this COVID stuff happened. I didn't know if I would actually ever get the knife. And once you know it, I got an email out of the blue, I think it was in May um, and said, Hey, we just finished making your knife. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And they're like, but here's the thing. Um, we're not allowed to ship anything out of Japan right now. So we're going to send it on a boat. We hope it makes it there and it should be there in about two months. It's like, oh my gosh. So anyways, it was a knife I posted probably, I think maybe in August. Uh, but both those steels are Cowrex steel and um, Cowrex steel was made by the Dido company and it doesn't exist anymore. And I've always been this guy. I always like to be different. I always like the rare stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's why those two knives are super important to me. And honestly, I got that knife made because I didn't know if there was any more Cowrex steel on the planet. Right. I had heard that, um, what's the guy who, who he owns a spider knife company. He bought the last 65 blanks uh, from Dido and he really? had the last remaining Cowrie X steel on the planet. So I was surprised that actually, uh, Ninox had some blanks and I believe I got the last one cause I saw the, I saw a post not too much longer after that, that said that that was, they had another one of Cowrie X and it said the last one that they were able to make. So, wow. But there's a, yeah. Like I said, I could go on for a long time about <laughs> knives, but I don't know. It was just, there's just something, you know, when, when you hold that knife in your hand and you know, when it uh, connects with the food and a sharp knife, I don't know. We all have our passions. And for me, that's definitely up there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're just, I guess we're, geez, I think we're just about at an hour now. Um, I, I think we, I think we could probably talk for, for a while longer, but, uh, 
for for those of you again um, who are on Instagram and want to take kind of a dive into uh, a lot of the things that that Brian does at the Greenbrier and the Apprentices do, uh, it's at Brian Skelding Brian with a Y um, on Instagram and then Greenbrier.com. Uh, if anybody's interested in in learning more about the apprenticeship program, uh, you can find out there. Uh, you can find out how to apply. Uh, Brian's email address is on there, and um, he will. He's he's very very uh, quick to respond. Um, so I I, th I encourage anybody who's kind of looking for a direction or a next step. Uh, for me, the Greenbrier came after I graduated culinary school. So. Uh, for me, it was I graduated culinary school and I, I still didn't really feel like I I knew enough. Um, and, and I was fortunate to know uh, a past Greenbrier apprentice, Russell Scott, that uh, that that put his name on a piece of paper for for me to, to go down there. And uh, best thing I ever did. So anybody um, looking for a, a, a world class uh, education um, that, that's, that's the place. It's still the place for me. It'll always be the place for me. Um, and, uh, you, you just got to, to meet the, the, the man that's, that's, that's at the top. Uh, obviously he has a, a big team of, of talented people and, um, you know, that, that help him make it happen. But, uh, he's the visionary, he's, he's the brains behind the operation. And I'm super, uh, honored to have you on Kitchen Brain Chef. Thanks for taking the time. Um, we're going to, we're going to get together soon when, when all this pandemic stuff blows over, we got to get the, get the families together. And, um, I still, I still have, have something of yours that I have to give back to you anyway. So, um, kind of just holding on to it to make sure we're still friends. Yeah. Uh, we'll always be friends <laughs> and, uh, nothing holds better than friendship is interest. So yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, stay well. And thanks again for, for joining us here. Um, and, uh, yeah, all the best to you and your family through the holidays and keep doing what you're doing, man. Thanks again for, for everything you're doing to, to keep that program running and, um, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. I appreciate it, chef. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was an honor. All right, man. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Kitchen brain.